All right. Well, thank you, Andy. Always love when uh, Andy brings his kids' ministry stuff to the adults and uh, makes me excited, and I kind of want to go join the kids' ministry. Well, good to see you. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm John, one of the pastors here at the North Park. Both uh, people are here live with us at our four-mile property, and some of you might be joining us online. I uh, want to thank everybody who's uh, done some extra work, especially our first one here, all our tech team getting this stuff to work, and then uh, Darius and his team getting everything set up, and our ushers, everybody who's moved our ministry out here to our four-mile property. And uh, good to see some of you under the pavilion, some of you out here in the grass, and our tailgaters out there in the back there. Families and kids, and some of you in the cars. Um, a lot of people have asked me about our time when we went through COVID and how our church has done and how we've done afterwards. And I've told them that uh, I think our services here at our Four Mile property really helped us tremendously, helped us keep a lot of our fellowship and unity, and uh, we enjoyed it. And so now we have a chance to do that uh, here for the summer. Um, it is Father's Day. How do we usually tell our dads that we're excited about Father's Day? We say, Happy Father's Day. And uh, there's different kind of dads, so there's lots of different emotions, too, depending on our circumstances. There's biological dads, there's stepdads, single dads, there's grandfathers and other relatives who are filling that role. There's spiritual dads. There's also circumstances around Father's Day that maybe don't make it happy. Um, perhaps your dad has passed away. There's some absent fathers that have been a part of our life. Sometimes being a dad can be really hard. Maybe it's a special needs a kid, or maybe you've lost a child, maybe infertility, not able to be a dad. Maybe you just have some difficult kids or teenagers. Some would just say teenagers are difficult, but I would say no. Or sometimes we have kids who have strayed from the faith or maybe rejected the faith that we've tried to give them. So even on a today, like today when we celebrate, we recognize there's lots of different, uh, different emotions and experiences. And uh, as was mentioned, uh, Phil, our lead pastor, is on sabbatical. And uh, we're in a series called Anatomy of Wisdom. It's ancient wisdom for modern living. So this is part five of that nine-week series. And as we uh, get back into Proverbs, we're going to see a dad who's giving some advice to his kids. But it also is a rhetorical device about God giving wisdom to each generation and how it gets passed on. Uh, we talked about Proverbs, that it is a book and uh, that gives us wisdom. And each week we've been dedicating a week to look at uh, some terms. There's lots of different ways to study Proverbs. And we've chosen to look at some of the terms that refer to the anatomy. But I just remind you that you can find the book of Proverbs if you want to turn there in your device um, or in your Bible. Uh, you find that middle section of the Bible, the wisdom books. You've got Job and Psalms, then Proverbs then Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So we're in the book of Proverbs, and our series is designed to help us develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. There's a way that God has designed the world, and wisdom is knowing how to live out his truth in a way that we live well. God is designed for us to prosper. And a proverb is just a short, easy-to-memorize saying of wisdom that can be applied in lots of different situations. It's kind of a condensed version of that wisdom that's being passed on from generation to generation because life can be really complicated there's truth that is black and white but how you apply that to the many different circumstances can be really difficult and we need wisdom and so that's why we've entitled it ancient wisdom for modern living so it's a nine-week series and uh, 
When we started this series, we offered you the opportunity to read through Proverbs with us, reading a chapter a day. Today is the 18th, so what chapter could we read? Chapter 18. It's as simple as that. So if you are uh, following that, you might have read through the book of Proverbs once already, and we'll be in the series another uh, four or five weeks, so you'll have another opportunity to read the book through a second time. If you'll take that chapter, if you miss a chapter, don't worry about it. Just say, what's today's date? Read that chapter, and then pick one verse. So we've talked about the Proverbs have a lot of different short sayings in a lot of the sections, and so don't get overwhelmed by that, but pick out one that really speaks to you or you think could be helpful, and then just contemplate that proverb for the day. Anatomy of wisdom. So far we've looked at the feet, the head, the ears. Today I'm going to talk about the heart as well as next week, and then Larry's going to be with us to talk about the hands Andy's going to talk about the eyes, and then I'll be back to wrap it up and talk about the tongue. But this morning, I want to talk about listening to your father. On Mother's Day, we talked about listening to your mother. Today, we want to talk about your father. So dads are pretty pretty important and cool people, you know. There's actually jokes that they get their own title. They're called dad jokes, right? So right now, uh, find a dad around you. Give him an opportunity to tell you his best dad joke, or the rest of the family, you can just groan. And you can tell the one that your dad has told over and over and over again. All right? I'll give you two minutes to talk and see if you can figure that dad joke out. All right. I can hear from all the talk. You don't really need two minutes. But isn't that what a dad joke is? It's corny, but dad tells it over and over and over again, right? I uh, looked up just a few. Here's some. Maybe you'll like them. What did one wall say to the other? I'll meet you in the corner. Why can't the nose be 12 inches long? Then it would be a foot. Good job. Do you want a box for your leftovers, they ask at the restaurant, and Dad says, no, but I'll wrestle you for them. If you see a crime happen in the Apple store, what does that make you? An eyewitness. See, now we're getting closer. We've got some groans. One last one. Is this pool safe for diving? It deep ends. There you go. So that's Dad jokes. Corny. Make you groan, right? But dads don't only tell jokes. They also give lots of advice. Because being a dad is a privilege and a responsibility. We want to see our kids grow up to do well. And as Christian parents, we want to see our kids develop the kind of confidence that they need to actually live for Christ in a world that can be very anti-Christian. We want them to have convictions, things that they know are true and help them live out their Christian life. We want them to have character, godly character. We also want them to be compassionate, to really care for people. And we want them to be competent, to have the skills and abilities necessary to live that life. So because we want that, dads often give advice. And as we've mentioned a couple times in the book of Proverbs, one of the things that's happening is it's a dad talking to his son and giving him advice about life. But it's also a literary device so that the words that we're reading aren't just a dad talking to a son, but it's actually God's word, his wisdom, That's being passed on. So in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 3, 
probably Solomon writing here, so he might even be speaking about his dad, David. He says, For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands, and you will live. So this is probably Solomon talking to his son and talking about what he learned from his dad. There's a generational aspect to this wisdom where it's handed down from generation to generation. It also says, as you just uh, surveyed the book of Proverbs, that this wisdom should enter our heart. It should be in your heart. He tells us to write them deep in your heart. Apply them to your heart. And he'll also say, give me your heart. So the heart seems to be really significant in this idea of one generation receiving the wisdom that comes from the previous generation. And the alternative is not good. So you guys know when you fly, they do those uh, announcements about where all the emergency exits are and all that kind of stuff. And nobody really pays attention. So I heard a friend one time say what they need to do is show some airplane crashes. And then say that might happen, so pay attention. It's kind of what the author does here. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17, he says, The eye that mocks a father and despises a mother's instructions will be plucked out by ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. All right, so kids, pay attention, or that could be your destiny. So we need to have a better alternative. So dads, let me ask you this. Some of you have already been through this process. Some of you are in the middle of it. Or maybe even think about your dad. If you could pass along the number one piece of advice regarding the heart, what would that advice be? The number one advice you would give a son about his heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 Solomon says, guard your heart above all else. Number one, number one thing. Son, you need to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. So what matters more than this? What matters more than guarding your heart? He says nothing. Above all else, guard your heart. Keep it. Pay attention to it. Watch it. Protect it. Protect it from outside influences, but also... Guard this precious gift of wisdom that you've received. The idea is that this dad is passing on wisdom that he's received from his dad. And now this son is getting that. And he needs to guard it. It's not just protect from the evil influences on the outside. It's you've been given a precious gift, this wisdom, this wisdom of God for your life. So guard that. And why? It says it determines the course of your life. Some of your translations say out of the issues, out of it are the issues of life. So it's because what goes on in your heart, that determines what your life is going to be. That's where you make your decisions about what kind of life you're going to have. Now, we should talk about what is the heart. We're not talking about the physical heart here, but there's a difference in how heart is used throughout Scripture. Whenever you read the Bible and you see a word, you should never assume that it always means the same thing in every circumstance. Just like in our culture... We usually use the word heart to speak about our emotions or our passions. We say, I heart you, and make that cool little heart like that, right? Uh, We're told to follow your heart. Or we talk about, she stole his heart. Or, the Detroit Lions broke my heart again. Right? So we use it a lot of different ways, but mostly in our culture, when we say heart, we're thinking about our emotions or our passions. In the verse here in Proverbs, Heart represents the inner person, who you really are. Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen 
says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. We are a physical body, but we have a spiritual being. We have a soul. So I, I don't think we need to distinguish here between heart, soul, and mind. Here we're saying this is the inner person. This is the real you, able to make decisions that will affect the course of your life. And so let me just ask you this morning, how is your heart? Have you been taking time to think about your inner person, your spiritual being? What this tells us is that the most important thing about all of our life is how is our heart? And specifically, how is our heart in relationship to God? The heart is the spiritual you, able to make decisions that will affect your life. Proverbs gives several different descriptions. I just took the word heart and searched through the book. And there's two different paths that your heart can take. Some of the words that are used in a negative sense. A heart that plots evil. A sly of heart person. Someone who has a stray heart. A foolish heart. A worthless heart. Crooked. Sick. Deceitful. Broken. A heart with no desire for learning. Proud heart. A violent heart. A wicked heart. An evil heart. So that's one place that your heart can go. But there's also another way that your heart can be described. Joyful. Content. Peaceful. Understanding, glad, happy, godly, cheerful, purified, and pure. So Solomon says, son, you need to guard your heart because what you do with your heart determines your life. And it can follow one of those two paths. So the question would be, what kind of person do we want to be? What kind of life do we want? It's going to be determined by our heart. What do you say, well, what does that even matter really? It's my life. I should be able to believe what I want, do what I want. What does it really matter what I do with my heart? Well, there's a few other verses in Proverbs that tell us that God is the one who examines the heart. And he tests the heart. He understands the heart and he knows the human heart. And that's why I think if we go to back to Proverbs chapter 3, two things I wanted to focus on. He says to his son, number one thing is guard your heart, your spiritual being and your relationship to God And the decisions you make about your life are very important. And it's not just, oh, that's too bad. Your life didn't go too well. There's more to it than that. Because in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, probably the most famous verses in all of Proverbs, we read, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. It matters because God cares about our heart. And God cares about what we do with our life. And so we're told to trust him, to trust God with all of our heart. Now this idea of not depending on your own understanding. Some of you know the verse is saying, lean not on your own understanding. The idea is don't lean on something. Don't prop yourself up with your own understanding. So the issue really is, who do you depend on to give you wisdom for life? Are you trusting yourself or are you trusting God? The description is like someone who has crutches. When you lean on those crutches to hold you up, he's saying don't depend on your own wisdom to be your crutches, to prop your life up, to try to find your way. Instead, trust in God. Take God's wisdom and let that be what guides your life trust God reminded of a 
simple story about a guy named Jack who was walking out by a canyon and he fell off the cliff. And he was able to grab hold of a branch on the side of the canyon wall. And he's hanging on and he's hollering because he's hoping that somebody else is walking by. It doesn't seem like there's anybody else. Help, help, is anybody there? Can you help me? And he's there for hours. He's wondering how much longer he can hold on. And all of a sudden there's a voice that says, Jack, I see you. You're okay. You're going to be all right. And he's like, whoa, who's, who is that? He says, this is the Lord. And I see you. I can take care of you. And he's oh, I know I haven't been living right, but I promise I'll, I'll live the right way. I'll do everything you want me to. I'll do anything if you'll just save me. The Lord says, okay, well, don't get carried away with the promises, but let's see if we can help you out. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. I want you to just let go. He's wrestling with that, like, oh, just let go. Like, what's going to happen here? And he thinks about it, and then he says, help, is there anybody else up there? Because he can't just let go. But we're not just asking you to let go blindly. We're asking you to trust the living God. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's letting go of your life, letting go of your decisions, of what you think is best, and saying, I'm going to trust God with all of my heart and trust his wisdom. So this morning, who are you depending on? Are you allowing God and his word to inform your decisions and your lifestyle choices and who and what you're trusting for salvation, for what you do with your money, for how you treat people, for how you're using your abilities and what God has given you? Are you investing in those things that matter for eternity? Now, when we think about this idea, not only does he say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't depend on your own understanding, but then he says, seek his will in all that you do. And he will show you the path to take. Now, most of the time we read this verse, we talk about God's will. We're interested in getting information about the decisions that we have to make. We want to know, should I take this job? Should I move to this house? Should I get involved in this relationship? Got some young people here just graduated high school. Some of them graduated college. And what's next? What should I do? But did you know that before the Industrial Revolution, almost all of the writings in Christian faith were about getting guidance to God rather than getting guidance from God. It's a book called Step by Step, written by James C. Petty, and in it he says, Most Christian writings on guidance emphasize guidance to God, not guidance from God. In other words, people wanted to know, how can I know God better, not just trying to get information from God to tell me what decisions to make. We read the next verse, verse 7 in chapter 3. It says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So what is that path that God will show us? It's turning away from evil. It's making good, godly choices. It's not necessarily more information about the specific decisions that I have to make. And this fear of the Lord idea we've looked at a couple of times already. The foundation of this wisdom. And so the result of this wanting to know guidance from God is that we don't know God as well as Christians have in past generations. And yet we have to make more decisions than they ever did. So I want to encourage you that the goal is to know God better, not just get information about our decisions. Proverbs 9:10 we've looked at says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. This wisdom that God is passing on from generation to generation The foundation of it is knowing God, 
not just getting more information. So if that's true, what makes this so hard? Why is it so hard to trust God with all of our heart? And why is it so hard to seek his will in all that we do? Well, a couple of reasons. We have a society with lots of different voices. They're loud and varied that tell us that this is not the path, that this is nonsense, pushes us in the wrong direction. We also have ourselves, our own sinfulness and our pride. Proverbs 16.25 says there's a way that seems right, a path that seems right, but really it leads to death. When we prop ourselves up with our own wisdom, our sin and our pride gets in the way. There's also a very real enemy, Satan. And I don't know as you listen to me what you think about the idea of a real Satan and devil. But the Bible makes it clear he's very real. He's a, like a lion going around seeking whom he may devour. And in the very beginning in Genesis, he questioned God's word and said, Did God really say that? And he's still at work today. But I also think the idea of suffering and evil makes it very hard. When we hear about this God who is good and whether we should seek his will and whether we can trust him, with our lives we look at our world and we see so much suffering and evil we wonder how can that god allow this to go on and we won't take time to answer all those questions today but i just give you these two thoughts one never forget that god does care about this evil and suffering and that's why he sent jesus and we're going to talk about that in a little bit more he entered into our suffering to help give us a way out and then secondly you know if we really think that god could stop the suffering and evil We also have to be open to the idea that maybe he has a higher purpose for it. Maybe he's accomplishing something that we don't understand or don't know. But all of this can cause us to ask the question, is God good? Can we trust him? And what kind of father is this God then? So for the rest of our time, I want to talk about three perspectives that lead us to trust God with all of our heart. And a desire to do his will. Because before we work at doing that, and next week I want to talk about how to do that in some specific areas. But I think we really have to settle this issue of is God good? Can we trust him? Is he the kind of father that we should give all of our heart to? So here's three perspectives that maybe could help us. Because in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, Peter would say, Don't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but be anxious, eager to do God's will. And the psalmist in Psalm 40 and verse 8 says, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So how do we get that? How can we be that eager and enthusiastic to give all of our heart to God and to trust him? Well, here's a couple of things that maybe could help us. Number one, God's will leads to benefits, which is evidence that God is good. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told a parable about a man who was wealthy and he was going away. And so he took some of his money, five talents was the amount of money, and he gave it to one person. And then he took two and gave it to another, and then he took one and gave it to another. And then he went away on his trip. You guys might remember, if you're familiar with the story, the guy with the five put it to work, and he doubled the money. So he turned the five into ten. The one who had two invested it and doubled it. And turned it into four. But the guy who had one took it and buried it and didn't do anything with it. And when the landowner came back, he asked about it. And the guy said, here's your five. And I doubled it. And he said, well done. 
You've been a good and faithful servant. He gave him more responsibilities. And the same thing with the guy who had two. And then with the one, he's like, well, why didn't you do anything with it? And he said this, I didn't because you are a hard or harsh man. You don't do the work, but you're taking from us. And so I buried it. And that told us a lot about that man's perspective of the landowner. It's possible that even those of us who have grown up in the church, even those of us who know it's the right thing to do, may still have these feelings that I'm not sure I can trust God. He seems like a hard God at times. He demands a lot. And we may not really believe that it's for our own good. It's like when you have a boss at work. It's a wonderful thing to have a good boss, isn't it? And if you're a boss, I hope that you're a good one. But when you have a boss who is always demanding and harsh and critical, wants the most work out of you and pay you the least and do the least amount of things for you, it's very hard to feel good about working for him and going the extra mile. But maybe you have a boss who you know really cares about you, tries to help you develop as a person, is generous in ways that she can give you opportunities to have time off or to be with your family, pay you the best that they can and make other benefits available. Then it's very easy for you to give more of yourself to that job. And the same thing is true with God. If we think that he's a harsh God and what he's asking us to do is just because he's this big, cruel being up there and we just have to do what he says, it's going to make it hard for us to be eager to do his will. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, when there's a re-giving of the law, Moses says that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and live in a way that pleases him, and love him and serve him with all your heart and your soul. But then he says this, And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. If God is asking us to do something, that will be benefit to us. It is for our own good. And we talked about Proverbs that speaks in generalities, that God has designed the world to work a certain way. And when we do it his way, normally there's going to be great benefit to us. So I want to encourage you this morning to relax in God's goodness. Relax in his goodness. His will is best for you, and it is good for you. So trust him with all of your heart and seek his will. It will always be best for you. Secondly, God's will leads to freedom, which is evidence that God is the creator. God's will leads to freedom, which is evidence that God is creator. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, we read this. By wisdom the Lord founded the earth. By understanding he created the heavens. And by his knowledge the deep fountains of the earth burst forth and the dew settles beneath the night sky. Solomon reminds us that God is the creator. He created this world. He is our creator. Who best to ask, how should life work, than the Creator? Now, one of the challenges of being a little bit older now is that technology is kind of passing me by a little bit. And uh, Brenda and I had an opportunity last weekend to watch uh, some of her grandkids on two different nights. And when you're babysitting, the number one question you need to know is, how does the TV or the DVD player work? And we didn't know that at either house. And so we experienced trying to get the TV to work. The one was playing it through the Xbox, and we were trying to figure out the buttons and guessing our best, and then where do we sign in, and then which apps do they have that we could watch a show or a movie. And then the second night, uh, 
they've kind of created their own little uh, TV stand uh, with a DVD player, and we rolled it out, and then we were trying to figure out which cords. The kids are telling us this and that and that and that. Still nothing. Where's the remote? We couldn't find the remote. So in both cases, we got them to work. But do you know how we got them to work? We called the owner. So we called her kids and said, hey, we're trying to get the TV to work. How do you do that? They gave us instructions, and we got it to work. It makes sense when you're trying to get something to work right to check with the people who made it or created it. They know why things work the way that they do. And this is just a reminder that God has created the world to work a certain way. As Americans, it's built in us that we are independent. We broke away from England. We formed our own country. We're very big on individual rights. And so it's possible that even as Christians we have this idea that to be free is really to be able to do what I want. And that the verses there in uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 are really at the heart of that. Because true freedom isn't found in doing what we want. True freedom is being able to do what God wants us to do. And this reminds us that the true freedom comes because he's the creator. He created the world and he created us. Psalm 119, verse 44 and 45 says, I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. So rejoice in your creator and his creation. There's a designer. Be free and fulfill your purpose. Seek wisdom and learn to live well in God's world. Lastly, there's another kind of freedom. There's a spiritual freedom from death and sin. And thirdly, then, God's will leads to life, which is evidence that God is Father. God is Father. In that same uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Wisdom is a tree of life. Where have we heard that before, the tree of life? I believe those are echoes of the creation. The creator also can become our father. Because in that garden, there was a tree of life. And that tree of life was the hope once Adam and Eve sinned. Again, in Proverbs 4, 4, where we started, Solomon said, My father taught me, take these words to heart, follow my commands, and you will live. And the New Testament version of that, Jesus said, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So we should accept God's will. We should pursue it because it is the only source of true life. And that's why Jesus came. Because once sin entered in, there had to be a way to pay for that sin and to help us get back to life rather than death. And so Jesus, God's son, left heaven and came and lived as a human being. And we're told that Jesus learned obedience. He submitted himself to the will of the Father, and he did it perfectly. And then he completed the work that God had given him to secure our salvation as he died on a cross in our place and then rose from the dead. But he wrestled with that. In the garden, he prayed with God, and he said, God, if there's any other way, but ultimately not my will, but yours, because he understood that true life was found in obeying the Father. And then Hebrews tells us that it was the joy that was set before him is what motivated him to go to the cross. Proverbs 20, verse 9 asks this question, Who can say I've cleansed my heart and I'm pure and free from sin? And the answer is nobody. 
nobody. But the answer isn't to do more. The answer is in what Jesus has already done. And so in John chapter 1, Jesus would say to everyone who will believe, accept me as that Savior. That's who I'll give the opportunity to become the children of God. John 17, 3, he said, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, to know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one that you sent to earth. Do you guys believe this statement? The more that you know God, the more you will love him. We should be eager to do his will, trusting to give our whole heart to him, because the more that you know who God really is, when you come to know him not only as his creation, but to know him as father, the more you will love him. And here on Father's Day, maybe you didn't have a good father. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was just a bad father. But I just want to tell you today that you can have the father that you've always wanted. And you can have the father that you've always wanted to be. If you'll come to God through Jesus Christ, he can be your father. So, Receive God's change in your life through Jesus. Become his child, not just his creation, and grow to be more like Jesus. Trust him with all of your heart and seek to do his will in all that you do. And so in Proverbs, we have this father who says to his son, listen, above all else, guard your heart. Who you are spiritually, that's the most important thing in your life. And you need a new heart. You need a heart that comes from knowing God as your father. So trust him with all of your heart and seek to do his will in all that you do. And so dads or any adult who really is interested in the next generation and impacting it, could you imagine if we could get these truths to the next generation, if we could live that out and teach that and make that the priority of everything that we do with our kids, whether that's in our own individual lives, in our communities, in our church, if we could help our next generation understand these two things imagine the difference that that would make and if you're here as sons and daughters everyone with a dad figure in your life we normally say happy father's day and so i want to end in proverbs chapter 23 this is how we can make our dads happy proverbs 23:15 says my child if your heart is wise this is the dad speaking my own heart will rejoice when we're wise Man, our dads are so happy. Everything in me, he says, will celebrate when you speak what is right. So don't envy sinners, but always continue to fear the Lord. And you'll be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. So listen to your father, verse 22, who gave you life. And don't despise your mother when she is old. Get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. So give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy. We say happy Father's Day to our fathers and other people who have invested in us when we become wise. When we accept this wisdom that's being passed on to us through them as it comes from the Lord. And if this is true for our earthly fathers, how much more for our heavenly Father? May it be the goal of every single one of us to say Happy Father's Day to our heavenly Father, that we too, when we get to heaven, may hear him say, Well done, 
You've been a good and a faithful servant. Let's close in prayer. And as we do, I want to ask you if you're willing to, to just close or pray with me in this way. Just right where you are, just open up your hands in front of you as a sign of response to God. To say, I'm yielding my way and my life. I surrender it to you, God. Help me to trust you with all of my heart. Help me to be eager to do your will. God, we're so stubborn. We're so easily swayed to trust in ourselves or to go a different path. May you cement these truths in our heart. May you help us as dads and adults to live out this truth and to make it a priority, to be able to pass it on to our children and the next generation. And for our kids and young people, God, would you please help them to come to know you the way that we do, that they might trust you, that they would know that the best possible life now and for all of eternity comes from trusting you with all of their heart. Help them to guard their heart, not only from the wicked, evil influences from the outside, but help them to understand we're giving them something that is precious, this wisdom that's been passed on to us, and we're handing it to them. God, would you give them the strength and the courage to protect it and to live it out in their life? Because, God, so many people around us need this truth. Help them to see you in us and give us an opportunity to tell them about our faithful God. And may you keep us on the right path and help us to finish our course. God, we desperately want to hear you say to us as a church and to, as families and as individuals, well done, you've been a good and faithful servant. We can only do that with your help and your strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.